Friends, we continue our studies focusing upon prayer. It seems to me such a worthwhile discipline. Wouldn't you agree to spend time seeking what the scriptures say, what the Lord teaches about prayer? Last time we were together, a fortnight ago, we focused upon the ideal environment for prayer. And that, of course, was fasting. We're reading tonight from Matthew chapter 6 once again, but moving backwards from verse 16 as we were last to verse 5, thinking about the prayer God always answers. I know what you're thinking. Pastor, does that not sound somewhat presumptuous? (laughs) We'll see. This is what the Lord says. Matthew 6 verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, Do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the Word of God. Let's pray a quick blessing. Father, we thank you for these scriptures, very, very familiar scriptures to us. Nevertheless, we are conscious of our need as mere human beings. For you, by your Holy Spirit, to take these inspired scriptures, spoken by our Lord, and apply them to our hearts and lives. We pray to that end, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Some time ago, A missionary friend of mine told me about a letter that he had received from a little girl whose Sunday school class had been writing letters to foreign missionaries. 
Evidently, the Sunday school teacher had told them that real live missionaries were very, very busy people indeed. So busy, in point of fact, that they might not have time to answer their letters. And so the letter my missionary friend received simply read, Dear Dr. Davis, we are praying for you. We are not expecting an answer. Without realizing it, that little girl summed up the prayer life of many Christians. We are praying for you. We are not expecting an answer. The truth is, most of us are not surprised when our prayers are not answered. And we're surprised when they are. But surely, brothers and sisters, the opposite should be true. When I go back home to the manse and flip a switch in the manse, I'm not surprised when the light comes on. When I jump in my car in the morning and turn the ignition of the car, I'm not surprised that the engine roars into life. Equally, I shouldn't be surprised when God answers my prayers. You see, friends, God intended that our prayers be answered. While the Bible admits the fact of unanswered prayer, it never assumes it. Answered prayer should be the rule, not the exception. Yet prayer is one of the biggest mysteries of the Christian faith, is it not? At times when we've had a succession of answered prayers, we feel that perhaps at long last we've finally learned how to pray. Finally, we know how to lay hold of God in prayer. And then perhaps we have on the back of that feeling long stretches when it seems as though God has stuffed cotton wool into his ears and all we get is the busy tone. It's mysterious. Little wonder, therefore, that the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Please understand Prayer does not come naturally or effortlessly. It must be learned. It is good to know, however, that we have the greatest of all teachers. And it is Jesus' desire to teach us about prayer far more than it is our desire to learn. You see, we Christians, particularly we mature Christian brethren, we get a little presumptuous. 
We begin to think to ourselves, oh, I've been a Christian for years. You can't teach me anything about prayer. And as soon as you've thought that, your heart is exposed. Regardless of how long we've been on the Christian road, regardless of our experience of prayer, our Prayer tonight should echo the prayer, the request of the disciples. Lord, teach me to pray. Every problem we encounter in prayer revolves around two questions. The how to pray and the what to pray. This passage in Matthew chapter 6 is, of course, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Here Jesus gives his disciples both the spiritual conditions and the specific content of the prayer that God always answers. Did you spot them? Well, if you didn't, you weren't reading too closely. He gave the disciples the specific The spiritual conditions and the specific content of the prayer that God always answers. Christ's purpose, arguably, was not to give us a form prayer to be ritually repeated over and over. That would contradict what he said about vain repetition. His main purpose was to give us an example to follow when we pray. This is a pattern, a blueprint if you like. It covers everything in principle and contains everything that we could ask of God. Everything. That's not to say, of course, that it's wrong to to share together in a liturgical format the, the, the family prayer, the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure it's not. But that's not, I believe, our Lord's primary purpose in this teaching. So, how does he give us the spiritual conditions and the specific content Of the prayer, God always answers. Well, four ingredients, very quickly, of answered prayer emerge from these verses. We must pray with sincerity, verse 5. We must pray with secrecy, verse 6. We must pray with simplicity, 7 and 8. And we should pray specifically. Verse 9. If you're into alliteration, goodness, you're a happy bunny tonight, aren't you? The cockles of your heart are warmed. We must pray with sincerity. Prayer's first demand is sincerity. It is evidenced in verse 5. Jesus 
is not condemning public praying. Be sure of that. But he is condemning praying to be seen by men. Here is a sobering truth. The highest and holiest act of man is prayer. Surely, therefore, prayer, the inner sanctum of the prayer closet, is a place that's safe from sin. Friends, don't be foolish enough to believe that. It's the lie of the enemy. In point of fact, the inner sanctum of the prayer closet is a place that is under severe attack by the enemy. Because even as you pray, if the enemy can shift your mindset in prayer so that you begin to pray, with a vain heart, then he's nullified your prayer life. Our holiest moments can become the occasion for the greatest sins. Impure thoughts, unworthy motives intrude into the most sacred place and wipe their muddy feet arrogantly on the floor of the throne room of our lives. Our loftiest acts are sometimes inspired by the lowest of motives. And if we're not careful, verse 5, it's clear, vanity, even in our prayer life, can lay hold of us. It may be that in the attempt to pray, we discover the truth about ourselves. Perhaps the hidden altar of prayer, we meet, in the hidden altar of prayer, we meet the ultimate test of our inferior motives. And if we're not careful, Our prayer lives become hypocritical. Some time ago, I was speaking at a missionary conference where the chairman was noted for his eloquent public prayers. So much so, people constantly praised the beauty of his prayers, even to his face. It was too much for any mortal to bear. When this chair stood to pray, which he did more and more frequently throughout the conference, he, it seemed to me, affected an unnatural, sonorous pulpit voice and piled up mountains of ostentatious phrases. Shakespeare would have been impressed. You see, for this man, prayer had become a performance. Prayer had become for him a public exhibition. Even as he prayed, vanity got hold of him. As we think about our Lord's teaching, on the spiritual conditions for prayer. We must pray 
with sincerity. When we use prayer to draw attention to ourselves, we are in fact praying to men rather than to God, seeking man's applause rather than God's blessing. And even, friends, our private prayer life can be afflicted with this malady. Of all our spiritual activities, none, perhaps, arguably, is as vulnerable to vanity as prayer. We must pray with sincerity. We must pray with secrecy, verse 6. I once heard it said that the secret of religion is religion in secret. To God against praying to be seen by men. Jesus here tells us to pray where only God can see us. In secret. Now, friends, by this, Jesus does not mean that we are to never pray in public. The secrecy of which he speaks here is more than physical. Although, of course, physical secrecy is important and, of course, was practiced by our Lord in his own private prayer life. As a matter of fact, our public praying should be backed up by private praying. If we only pray in public, then there's a sense in which we're hypocrites. Wouldn't you agree? Without a faithful private prayer life, our public prayers are arguably nothing but sure. The secret praying, however, here that Jesus speaks of can can be done in public. Nonsense, you're thinking. How can you pray secretly whilst in public? Well, primarily, this secret praying of which our Lord speaks of is a mental and spiritual secrecy. I believe the key phrase here is, pray to your Father. Pray to your Father. When I went to Bible College in Edinburgh, we would have early morning prayer meetings every day of the week, including the weekends. Quite a discipline, I have to say. But I learned to love the place of prayer like I'm sure many of you have down the years. And it... It impressed me that, that many of my fellow students, when they prayed, it felt as though, as far as they were concerned, there was no one else in that room but them and their Lord. It felt that way. They were praying in secret. Even though they were surrounded by fellow students and, and, and teachers and lecturers. They were kind of shut off in the spirits, praying to the Heavenly Father. In public prayer, we may be tempted to pray to the listeners instead of God. I understand why. We're tempted to pray thus. There's a sense in which we pray and we want our fellow prayers to understand why we're praying. 
Might I suggest it doesn't matter if they understand. Because we're praying to our Father. Who understands. And they can echo the Amen with us. Without understanding. Sometimes we pray to impress. Sometimes we pray to inform. Sometimes we pray to make a point. Oh, ah, ouch. Have you been there? A brother or sister wants to make a point to you. To me. And they do so by praying in the prayer meeting. I call all of this horizontal praying. Praying across the room. Jesus says, when you pray, pray in secret. But I can't. I'm in the public prayer meeting. You say, oh, but you can. You pray to your Father. Just between the two of you. Others listen on and give assent to your praying. That's fine. We must pray, my friends, with sincerity. No sense of personal vanity, personal ambition, vain conceit. We must pray with secrecy and we must pray with simplicity. Verses 7 through 8. It is not repetition per se that Jesus is condemning in these verses, I believe, but meaningless repetition. The Greek word is arguably difficult to translate into English. In the NIV, it uses this expression, keep on babbling. A single word in the Greek. The pagans keep on babbling. <laughs> but it does carry the idea of, of rambling on and on. It carries the idea of a, of a torrent of words for words' sake. Have you been in those prayer meetings? A torrent of words for words' sake. You see, the heathen believed the gods, small g, were impressed with a torrent of words. Were impressed with the excellent vocabulary. Were impressed with the amount of, of spiritual phrases that they could string together one after the other after the other. Do you think, my friends, tonight our Father in Heaven is so impressed? <laughs> Not at all. Jesus says, when you pray, pray simply. Not babbling. As pagans do. It's a good discipline sometimes to try and listen to yourself when you pray. We're instructed to pray with the simplicity of a child. Wouldn't you agree? It's great when my granddaughter Willow Grace has something to ask of me. She comes across and says, Hey Pops! <laughs> And she comes, and I know she wants to ask me something. I love it though because she's asking me as if she's anticipating an affirmative answer. Hey Pops! It doesn't occur to her for one minute that Pops is going to say no. Granted, she has me wrapped around her little finger. 
But there's something very beautiful about that faith. Hey, Pops! Could you fetch me some sweets after school? Doesn't occur to her for one minute that Pops is going to say no. And Pops doesn't say no. (laughs) Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Why? Because you're praying to a loving Heavenly Father. And he says elsewhere, if you, though you were evil, know how to give good things to your children who ask, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Hey, Father. Simple. Unquestioning. Uncomplicated. It's profoundly precious. Wouldn't you agree? We don't need to keep babbling on and on and on with our theological expressions, trying to impress our God with our theological knowledge. He ain't impressed. You see, he's omniscient. He knows all things. We can't tell him anything. I tell you something else. You can't even tell him your news. Because he knows it. He knows your news. Just come to your father with the surety of a child, of a granddaughter who goes to her pops and says, Hey, pops! Fully anticipating an affirmative. Simplicity. We should pray specifically, verse 9. So having set out these three spiritual conditions, praying with sincerity, praying with secrecy, praying with simplicity, Jesus then goes out to speak the specific content of the prayer that God answers. Wow, it's mind-boggling. How is the simple prayer accomplished? Well, Jesus says in the next verse, verse 9, Pray then in this way. Pray then in this way. And so we have here a model prayer. Do you know what's extraordinarily fascinating about this model prayer? It's 100% petition. Notice? It is 100% petition. Even the phrase, hallowed be thy name, is petition. The model prayer is made up of six petitions, in point of fact. Imperatives in the form of commands. In each instance, we're asking God to do something specific. The prayer, of course, is in two parts, with three petitions in each part. Now, granted, a proper exposition of the prayer demands a volume of its own, and we can't do it justice tonight. 
But let's very quickly look at the two parts, the six petitions. The first part of the prayer concerns, surprise, surprise, the glory of the Father. The second part of the prayer concerns the good of the family. The order, I believe, is significant also. Friends, we come into the presence of God and first and foremost, we petition for His glory. We are consumed with the desire for His glory. This is the priority, the glory of the Father, putting the Father's interests before our own. This implies, I'm sure, an emptying of self. It implies a preoccupation with the things of God. And why not? If we're born again of the Spirit of God, if tonight we are in Christ, saved by God's grace through faith, then we are preoccupied with Jesus. Are we not? We're preoccupied with what what He wants. Only after we have forgotten ourselves And petitioned God for His glory, are we encouraged to remember ourselves and petition Him for ourselves, our needs? Fascinating, isn't it? So, the first part, a petitioning for the glory of the Father. Three specific requests. We pray. That the name of God will be revered. Boy, oh boy, how that prayer needs to be answered today. Both within the confines of the Christian church and out of it. Wouldn't you agree? That the name of God be revered. One thing's for sure, the name of God is being trampled upon every which way but loose. Is it not these days? The media... Newspapers, magazines, books and television, they trample upon the name of God. The request that to consume the child of God is, is, Father, might your name be revered once again. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Oh, my friends, there will come a day. Oh, yes. When that name will be hallowed. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. We pray... Father, might your name be revered in 2017. Secondly, we pray, Father, might your rule be established. What a prayer. Father, thy kingdom come. 
Might your rule be established? And of course, as we pray thus, we begin with ourselves. There's no point in us asking God be established, your rule established in this church, if it is not first established in my life. No point praying, God, might your rule be established in Trichon, in, 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 in Trashland, if it's not first established in this church. Might the rule of God be established? And we pray, Father, might your will be done. What a prayer. What a prayer. And if ever our society needed for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up and pray thus, it needs it now. Yes, I understand there are secondary issues and there are tertiary issues and these are significantly important to men and women, boys and girls outside these four walls. But first and foremost, this is what our community, this is what our church, this is what I, your pastor, needs more than anything else. Father, might your name be revered. Might your rule be established. Might your will be done. The second part concerns the good of the family. Isn't God wonderful? (laughs) He knows our needs. And yet he encourages us to petition him for those needs. And there are three petitions we pray for our daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Our needs, not our wants, of course. We get consumed with what we want. Boy, oh boy, if ever, if ever I've, I've been fed up of watching the, the, the news and, and receiving emails, pinging into my email box, my inbox, about sales, this weekend I've been fed up of you. What did they call it? Black Friday? Well, there's, there's an appropriate word, isn't it? Black Friday. And how, manip- how, how shallow our society has become. We've allowed our culture, our community to manipulate us. I hear that all manner of billions of pounds have been spent by consumers in the United Kingdom because of black Friday. I wonder how much of those billions of pounds have actually been spent on something that they actually needed. Very, very little, I would suggest. Give us, Lord, what we need. And He does. Hallelujah. We pray for our daily pardon. Forgive us our debts. Boy, friends, the closer we get to Jesus, the more conscious we become of our spiritual need. Wouldn't you agree? And we long to be nearer to Jesus. Of course we do. And yet, as as he shines his light upon our heart and life, it has that uncanny ability to expose us. You know, even when you think you're doing all right, (laughs) 
And we cry, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry, Lord. And he forgives. And we pray for our daily protection. Boy, oh boy, do we need protection. You know, I'm convinced oft times we Christians are from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. We are protected from the wiles of the enemy and we, have not, we don't know anything about it. We don't know anything about it. One day we will know. One day the books will be opened. And it will become clear to us that, wow, time upon time upon time upon time, the enemy is sought to sift us as wheat. And time upon time upon time, our God has sent his guardian angels to protect us. And we've never known. Hallelujah. He answers our prayer. Do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. What a prayer. And this model prayer begins quite simply and yet equally profoundly with the most extraordinary phrase. Our Father, our Father, here is the requirement of all prayer. Prayer is a family matter, and only those who can say, our Father, can truly pray. Our Father. Wow. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But to me, He's Abba. Father. He is the Creator of the universe. Who spoke the cosmos into existence by the power of his word. But to me, he's Abba, Father. He sustains all life, all existence as we, we know and comprehend it and beyond. But to me, he's Abba, Father. He can withdraw my very next breath if he so wishes. And one day he will if he doesn't come first to rapture the church. But to me, he is Abba, Father. Here is our right to pray. Friends, we are not beggars cowering at the back door pleading for some kind of handout from uh, a divine being who is reluctant to give. Oh no. We are children at the Father's table. And the Father in Christ has beckoned us to the banqueting table and his banner over us is love and he wishes to lavish upon us all the good things that he has for us. 
The story is told of a Roman emperor who was on one occasion entering Rome in triumph after a victorious battle. As the magnificent procession moved down the street, a small child suddenly darted through the fence of soldiers lining the street and headed for the opulent carriage that bore the emperor. One of the soldiers grabbed for the boy, saying, That's the emperor, lad! The child broke loose and racing for the carriage cried back, Your emperor, but my father! He is almighty God. Else should I. He is the one most high. So great so amazing that even with with our wildest imaginations we can't comprehend him but he's Abba Father and when we come into his presence with a sense of sincerity and secrecy and simplicity it is his desire to answer prayer. 